So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting. It's Jonathan Bailey Strong here, bringing you interviews and insights from experts at the forefront of the consulting industry. On today's episode, we have Mads Singer. Mads has a wealth of experience working with Fortune 500 companies such as Xerox and IBM, and also more than eight years of experience coaching and consulting online entrepreneurs on effective management and outsourcing. He's also a frequent keynote speaker as one of the industry experts in the DISC methodology, which is the cornerstone of his management philosophy, which we'll come on to later on this episode. But first of all, Mads, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Awesome to be here. Lovely to have you. So first of all, I just wanted to dive into some actual advice for some of our listeners. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about just following up from a conversation we were having earlier, where you said that when you started your practice, you had no website for the first five years, but you really focused on building a strong network. Can you tell us more about how you went about doing that? Yeah, I mean, I, I should probably start out and saying by by nature, I'm a, a super duper introvert. So um, most people don't realize that, but but corporately, uh, it was it, it took me quite a while to learn to actually talk to other humans and stuff. And one of the key things I, I was told when I first got into management was the fact that management is all about networking. And I had to learn how to network with people to become an effective manager and, and being able to lead businesses and so on, right? So that was that was one of the key things I learned early on. And uh, while I'm still not particularly comfortable talking to people, I've seen so many times the incredible value you get out of talking to others. And that's basically what I've used in starting uh, both my first two companies. Uh, so when I started management consulting, I basically started out working with people that was in my network and um, pretty quickly expanded from that. And, you know, I started working with, with lots of new people. And for the first four, five, five and a half years, probably, um, basically, I didn't have a website at all. The key way for me to find clients was going around to different events, networking and getting to know people. Um, fundamentally, the space I'm in is something that everyone needs. So, so many people start a company nowadays and they have no background experience in managing people. So the whole thing is that um, yeah, pretty much any conference I go to, there's plenty of potential clients that are good fit for what I do. And reality is that generally with networking, it's not about prospecting, right? So I'm not a fan of business cards. I'm not a fan of buy my stuff in general. Uh, I do occasionally say it when people desperately need it, but in general, that's not my focus. So I, I don't go around to networking events to sell. I go around to uh, various events to build relationships because that's what changes the game, right? So what I would say as well is that most people make most money from referrals. And if you meet someone, build a great connection with them, and then put yourself in a situation where they refer clients to you, that is generally much, much better clients than if you find people at a networking event or at any kind of event yourself. So it sounds to me as though, I mean, people approach networking different ways. It sounds like one of your focuses was events, conferences. Is that right? Or is it also, were you also looking at communities? All of it. For, for me, it's a mix. I mean, I, so I have this simple life philosophy that if you meet 100 people, there'll be five amazing ones amongst them, at least, right? So for me, in principle, people is a numbers game. And I think the more people you meet in general, the luckier you will be. As in, you know, 
it's it's about getting to know a lot of people and and particularly in business. I mean, when you're starting a company, I've started a whole bunch myself. And when you're starting a business, reality is there's so much stuff you don't know. Now, this is not just about getting to know people who can be a client, but this is to get to know people who can who you can communicate with and talk with and get advice from and you know learn from. And and so so the whole the whole purpose is not just go out to get clients. The whole purpose is that business is all about building relationships. And particularly when you're in a coaching and consultants world, like you want to get to know a lot of people. Now, one of my key strategies is that I've done incredibly few events around management. I always try and go to where my clients are. Right. So a lot of the time I meet SEO people that only go to SEO events. But the problem is that they're not going to find their best clients at SEO events because they're not typically, many of them are not selling to other SEOs. They're selling to other inducers. So if you're selling to roofers, you're much better going to a roofing event than you're going to an SEO event, right? Because that's your ideal audience. That's how you, you, you get to hear the language they talk. You get to have conversations with them. You get to hear all the roofing conversations going on. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so it sounds like, you know, you, you were a little bit more, you know, strategic about what kinds of events you attended. Was there any, are, are there any other kind of takeaways where, you know, for people looking to strategically network? I kind of think about, you know, the first time I, I moved to New York a couple of years ago, you know, my, my first uh, approach was to just, you know, go to as many events and meet as many people as possible. I find these days I'm a little bit more selective and a little bit more strategic about how I actually spend my time and attention. So I'm curious, like, what, what your approach is in that regard. Yeah, I mean, naturally, I mean, I, I've, I've lived in many places. And one of the first things I do when I go somewhere new is I open LinkedIn and I find probably 100 people that I think sounds interesting. And in my case, that would often be entrepreneurs or CEOs or some kind of business owners or something like that. I hit them up and say, hey, you know, I'm new in town. would love to grab a coffee at some point. Um, you know, are you free? And that's one of my favorite methods of building a network when I just get in somewhere new. Um, one of the key things about it is when you plug into a new place, when you plug into existing network, when you meet people, they often both know other people, but they often also know communities. So you're much better rather than trying to find the communities and you know show up in a community the first time, you're much better off getting people to bring you along because that way, one, you're not a total stranger. And two, you also like you often get an into the right groups much faster. Right, because that there is a ton of groups, as you say, out there. And I, I've done it. I mean, I I've gone on like meetup.com and all these different business events, and I've gone to a ton of events. And, uh, you know, some events is just not my style, and some of them work for me. Different people are different, right? So different events work for different people. Um, I, I think my probably number one place to meet amazing people is an organization called Toastmasters. And that's typically sort of a public speaking slash leadership organization. And what I love about that is that it's people who spend their own money and their free time going to try and develop themselves. And I know from experience that those are the kind of people that I love hanging around and that those are the people that I love connecting with, right? And I found that I probably found like when I look at it worldwide, that's probably the one organization that where I've met the most amazing people and lots of potential clients and 
yeah, lots of amazing friends and so on as well. Yeah, I, I would definitely second that recommendation. Uh, just like you say, it's so true that no matter just about wherever you go in the world, there's usually a local Toastmasters organization where, you know, if you're in a country where English isn't the first language, usually that's a place where you will meet a lot of English speakers, people who are interested in personal development and public speaking. So, yeah, absolutely agree with that one. One of the things I, I also noticed about um, when I moved uh, to New York was uh, a lot of my closest friends tend to actually come from similar circumstances. So a lot of, like, I'd say my very close circle, like we tend to be uh, usually European. So, you know, German, Italian, we all moved to New York around the same time and we all married around the same time shortly before moving, uh, which is kind of an interesting coincidence. So it makes me think maybe I should have started a meetup group for people who married around this certain time. <laughs> They're all from Europe. But yeah, that's an interesting uh, thing I've kind of run into. Is that something that you've noticed with uh, with networking? Obviously, you've had this pedigree and this background. Do you find those associations really helpful, whether it's like where you went to school or university or where you worked, or is that less of a factor? I, I think it's, again, it's it's an excuse to to meet people, right? So the whole thing is, again, like when you move to a new place, if if there's many people who have moved to that place as well, you're more likely to meet them. Because if, if people move somewhere new, they're often looking for a new network. They're looking for new friends, which means they're often much more open and much more talkative, and they will take the time to get to know you much more. Whereas when you meet local people in most places, they often already have all that network. They have all, all the people around, and they're it doesn't mean they're less friendly. It just means they're already very busy. So, you know, fitting fitting five new friends into their schedule is is often hard, right? So so that's often why that whenever you go wherever you go in the world, you're you're more likely to if you physically move somewhere else in the world, you're more likely to meet people who have also done something similar just because they are also out looking to meet people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, something else I also wanted to touch on, and I think this is kind of quite closely related to, you know, the, the idea of, of strategically networking or, or finding good ways of making connections is through podcasting. And so we both took part in sort of a pre-conference event that I helped put together, which you kindly agreed to speak at as well. And uh, I found that the way you describe the way that you approach podcasting is quite in line with mine in the sense that, you know, it's a great way of connecting with people, bringing people on as guests on an interview show as a means to build relationships and build rapport. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of some of the same things that you, you spoke about at that event. Sure. And, and what I would say, I mean, again, it is it is networking. It's about building relationship. When you're doing a podcast, you're also building relationship with your audience. When someone listens to you week after week or month after month, however often you run your podcast, you know, they're used to listening to your voice. They feel they know you. I mean, I've been at so many events where someone is walking up to me and like, hey, how was your holiday in Spain? And I'm like, how do you know I was in Spain? I've never met you before. And they're like, oh, you know, I listen to your podcast every week. And, you know, I uh, like they feel they know you. So in fundamentally, you're, you're also building relationship with people, even people you're not aware exist yet. All right. So, so. That, that's one angle. The other angle is obviously the, the guests you have. And uh, I, I also love doing what we're doing here, like joining other people on their podcasts. And, and again, the number one thing for me is the relationship piece of it, right? It's it's building the relationship with e either your guest or the host that you're that you're talking with and really making sure that that 
you're utilizing the opportunities you have to build solid relationships with great people. And the more you get to know people, the more you talk with great people, the more you are to figure out how you can help them. And the more you can help other people, the more likely they are to help you back at some point. And I, I think that the, the people who do this wrong is the people who are trying to keep scores, right? Yeah. So if you walk in and uh, you find like, oh, this person can't help me right now. Like, that's not what it's about. It, it's never about that, right? The whole thing is that it, it's, I mean, karma is a thing, right? So fundamentally, the more people you help doing amazing things, the more people's life you change, the the more good things will come to you, Right. Yeah. And sort of switching gears here for a second. So um, obviously you, you, you've built this, when you started off with your consulting practice, uh, you know, you were able to basically grow your, your network and build a somewhat thriving, you know, practice off that. But I'm curious to hear a little bit more about, you, you know, you transitioned into this consulting role for management consulting um, and basically helping organizations with managing employees and so forth. Uh, what led you, uh, like that wasn't always the case though. You, you started off in a completely different position. So I, I'm curious about that career pivot moment um, that I've heard you describe before, but I think it's a great story. So I'd love for you to, to share it with us. Yeah, for sure. I initially started out as a young kid, uh, not very comfortable, not very enjoyable with the schooling and all that kind of stuff. And I, I looked at my future being in IT. And fundamentally, I left sort of primary, secondary school, the schooling system in Denmark is slightly different, but I was, I was about 15, 16. I moved a couple of hundred kilometers away to go study IT. I learned very little in the first couple of years and eventually started looking for a job. Um, I ended up not finishing my education uh, as soon as I turned 18. I got a job working abroad in Ireland at the time. I'm from Denmark originally, but I got a job moving to Ireland and I'm working for a company called Xerox with some IT support. So I moved abroad and it was very interesting. I started out the first month or so. I had a boss that was not a particularly great boss and, and it kind of confirmed a little bit my whole what I had been told as a kid. So even though I hated school, my parents and all my friends and so on, they were always like, oh, you know, you should really love school because when you grow up and become an adult, you know, work life will be horrible. And let's just say the boss I had initially when I started my first job um, wasn't trying to um, kill that myth at all. Um, however, after the first month or two, I ended up getting a new boss and she was absolutely amazing at what she did she made people love her work love work she made people enjoy what they were doing obviously it's still a job right so it wasn't like people are celebrating going to work every day but you know people were happy people were doing things they enjoyed doing and they were learning things and developing and so on right and within a couple of months i like my whole I would say existent, existence really moved from wanting to be an IT guy to wanting to do what she was doing, which was managing people and you know creating an, an amazing work environment. And fundamentally, that kicked me off on this whole self-development journey where I ended up doing uh, years of self-development. I, I knew for sure that I did not want to go back to school and study. All my friends said, if I wanted to go into management, you know, I should go and get a degree because if you want to be a manager, you have to have a degree and all this good stuff. 
Um, I, I said absolutely no thanks to that. And I basically, I ended up reading about a book a week for more than 10 years. I ended up spending a lot of time and my own money and going to all sorts of management seminars and trainings and anything I could find. I I mean, I still remember the first time I, I walked into a library and I was like, I had no idea what I was doing. And I literally went to the business section and I bought like 20 books that had the word management in them one way or another. And uh, I can tell you, it's not all books around management that are created equally good. Um, so it, particularly in the beginning, I read a lot of books that was not so useful, but also a lot of stuff that was great. Are there any standout books that come to mind immediately? Uh, there was definitely a couple, uh, probably three or four that stood out to me. So the first one and my absolute favorite book when it comes to management is called First Break All the Rules by a guy called Marcus Buckingham. And that is to this day still my absolute favorite book. Um, one of the best, I think, core management book probably come from a guy called Peter Drucker, who is extremely well-known in the management world. Uh, he passed away a few years ago, but uh, he had he had a whole bunch of books. Uh, I think if you're starting out, the, the best one is probably called The Effective Executive. And that one is particularly great because it kind of condensed a lot of his a lot of his wisdom into some very actionable steps, right? Uh, some of his books are very, very big. I mean, there's books that are uh, probably as big as me, um, <laughs> but he have books that are very, very big, right? This one, the effective executive is kind of boiled down and it's, it's kind of some of his key things that, uh, that are super valuable. And then there's, there's another book called what got you here won't get you there. And I believe that's maybe from Marshall Goldsmith, uh, which I think have also been a game changer. And there's a lot of concepts that I've definitely used with a lot of clients, um, particularly here in the entrepreneurial world. So I'd say that that's probably three of the books that I'd say have been the biggest game changers for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I love what you said about your you, that manager of yours that you know you really admired. I, I'm not sure I can necessarily relate. I, I would say I've had some good managers in, in some respects, but I wouldn't say overall I had one manager that was amazing. But I think the example that is tangentially related, I think the easiest thing to think of is like your favorite teacher. Everyone has a favorite teacher. You know, some teacher who just really made the subject come alive and just the way there, there was actually a, a teacher of mine who who passed away recently and he was he was just amazing. He was just like had this patience for everyone he was he was he was teaching he would make sure that we wouldn't progress until everyone in the room really understood what was being taught but he had this way of not making anyone feel s slow or it was their fault it, he always took it on as it was his fault and i think a lot of those things you could probably apply to good management would you agree definitely. with that definitely yeah yeah, I, I mean, a lot of management is taking responsibility, and and unfortunately, like in 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 the world today, there's a lot of this stuff you call blame gaming or something, where where people people are afraid of making mistakes, and every every time they do make one, they try and blame it on other people instead of saying, "Oh, yep, you know, I did something; it wasn't great. You know, I I'll I'll try and figure out how to fix it, or how to make up for that, and so on." Right? So, it very much. The, the, the world and I, I think the attitude from not just many people but but generally for from society is the fact that you know making mistakes is not a good thing 
And I think that's something that's hold back, not just a lot of people, but it, it's holding back our entire community and entire planet to some extent, because people don't get the support to learn because they're so afraid of making mistakes. And that's, that's a big shame. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious. Um, so, you know, you've kind of mentioned this fear of making mistakes in these blame games. What other kinds of things or common management mistakes do you see in organizations, whether they're big organizations or small organizations? What are some classic mistakes that keep coming up uh, that you see time and time again? Yeah, so again, I'll try not call them mistakes. Um, <laughs> normally, again, no one wakes up in the morning and says, I want to be a bad manager or I want to <laughs> be a bad business owner. Like no one does, right? So the whole thing is that when people are doing things that are not very effective, it's typically because they don't know any better, right? So when I work with people, the, the core focus on one of the key things I work with most people on is things like delegation, right? So very, very many business owners that are struggling with, you know, whether it's getting out of their business or whether it's, you know, working less hours or whatever, it usually comes down to delegation. And reality is many of them make so many excuses in their head. So they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I have to work hard for these years. And then, you know, when I've worked hard for many years, then it'll all be easier. But the whole thing is that it doesn't. Uh, if you don't build things up the right way if you don't give people responsibility and ownership things generally doesn't get easier um and the whole thing about delegation and and the the, the fundamental problem for for many particular entrepreneurs is the fact that they often come into the situation they are from being an expert all right so they often become a business owner because they're an expert or because they're really good at something and the problem is that when you're an expert at something you are used to that both being your identity and your driver, and it's often your everything. And the, the fundamental challenge behind that is the fact that when you have something that you identify with or you, you see like, this is my thing, you're more likely wanting to do it. And the, the, the challenge is, and, and here's the thing. First of all, there's nothing wrong. Like if you want to sit and do a, a end user job for, for your entire career because that's what you love doing, that's absolutely okay. But you just have to understand that there's a big difference between that and building a company, right? And if you want to build a successful company, it requires something different than you necessarily sitting doing what you wanting to do is probably the wrong word, but it it the things you enjoy the most, right? So the, the focus often when you're when you're building companies is is learning to learning to do the hard things. And often when you've gotten through a lot of the hard things and you can do some of the easier things or some of the more fun things again, but a lot of the time it's getting through these hard things and, and actually learning how to do these hard things. And that is what people management is, right? It, it doesn't take forever. And what I love working with people management is you, you, you can make such a big difference in a very short time. If you just have the right teacher, if you have the right sort of, people around you because success in, in management often come from hiring the right people. It's very, very often that it's based on having people around you that you can trust and you can delegate to and all this stuff. And the better manager you are, the easier that whole game becomes to you. Right. So when it comes to delegation specifically, the, the key challenges that you typically see is that because people are used to being experts, 
they're first of all used to being the one everyone comes to. And here's the thing, as a business owner, every time you answer a question with a staff member, you're building a process in their head that says, when I have this problem, go ask boss man. When I have this problem, I have to go and ask the boss, right? And people always complain about the same thing, which is, oh, you know, my staff always ask the same questions. And I know that whenever people say that, it's because they keep answering them. And the challenge is that people are handing out tasks. They're building a process. They're they're picking out a specific task and they get the team to work on it or an individual to work on it. And the problem with that is that when you're giving people tasks, instead of giving people ownership and responsibility, they will only ever get so good, right? They will only ever get so good. So, so the fundamental is learning to get to a point where you're, where you're giving people actual responsibility instead of giving them specific tasks. And there have been a lot of sort of misconceptions in the sort of uh, whole online business world. And, and there have been lots of these sort of gurus and so on telling people like, you know, you, you just build a process, you write down exactly what you're doing and you give it to someone and you get them to do it. And Unfortunately, that's, in my opinion, not the right thing to do, right? The whole problem is that, I mean, if you take that to the extreme, that would be a bit like saying in a company like IBM, the CEO sits and figures out what every individual in the company is doing and write the processes for them. And I can promise you that won't work in a company with many people. And therefore, it should not be the way you do it in a company with few people either. All right. So the fundamental is really learning to handle responsibility. And the way to do that is to give people end goals and it is to give people objectives of what needs to be achieved and let them figure out how to do it. Now, you can have processes and you can hand them some processes of how things have been done in the past, but fundamentally, you need to let go of your perfectionist gene and you need to let go of this thing of, you know, I have to tell them exactly how it should be done and you should be focused on that output. So if you give someone a task and if you give them a responsibility, um, let's say you pick customer service. So if you have a person that you want to own customer service, right? You want to sit them down and you say, hey, Jonathan, you know, I love the way you communicate to people. I, I really like how you make people feel great when you talk to them. And I really want you to own our customer service department. Our goal is to make sure that, you know, we answer all our customers within 24 hours, because if we don't do that, Amazon will get angry at us or whatever. And besides that, I... I have a piece of a couple of processes here that we are currently using. Now you're a smart guy, so I'm sure you can find even better ways to do these. But here's the result that we are currently getting today. And our objective is to improve this and make this even better than what we're capable of today. Right. So that's what a conversation could look like. So it's about telling people again what is the objective. And you, you want to give them specific goals. So you want to say, as I said earlier, you want to tell them what the objective is. So saying, you know, we answer, we have to answer all customers within 24 hours. And, you know, we 
whatever your goal is, like we need a customer satisfaction rating of X percent, or we need what whatever is your goal is with the particular role, right? And the whole thing is when you do that, you actually give people ownership, right? You you don't want to sit and tell them, click here, do this, do this, do this. I mean, it's it's fine for you to show them how to use the system and it's fine to show them like some of the processes, how they operate and so on. But the problem is that that's not the job, right? The job is to make them responsible so that they own it and then let them figure out how to get there. And the, the, the game changer for most people is when they learn how to do this and they start doing it with things they haven't figured out yet. Because obviously, if you spend a lot of time figuring something out, it kind of makes sense that you show someone what you have figured out, right? But the game changer is that when you actually get to the point where you can delegate things to people that you don't yet know how to do, right? Because that's the time when you start freeing up significant time. And that's the time when you start putting yourself in a situation to grow your business significantly. Because what happens is when you're like, whoa, you know, we should implement email marketing in our business. We're not currently doing that, but, you know, I have this podcast and we should definitely do email marketing. Now, instead of you sitting down, figuring out how to do it, if you find someone that's, let's say they're a good writer and you say, hey, you know, I want to give you this responsibility. You're a great writer. I want you to own our email marketing. We haven't done it before, but the goal is for us to make X amount of money from it or achieve X goal from it. And, you know, we have a budget of X, Y, Z. And, you know, ideally, you know, it would be great if you can start looking at this and we can have something to work with two months from now or something like that. So you give them some objectives, you tell them what the goals are, and then you fundamentally let them go and figure out how to do it. Yeah, that's definitely a trap that I've fallen. I've I've fallen into a couple of times. I'm a I'm a tinkerer. I like you know figuring things out. And sometimes, you know, just like you describe, you know, email marketing or something like that. I'll I'll dive in and you know decide that I want to learn everything when it's probably not the best use of my time. There's way more people that could probably do it much better than I could. It, it's not just about that. But here's the key thing. Mm-hmm. It, well, number one is when you're doing that, there's something else you're not doing. All right. So the whole thing is when you decide to sit down and do that, there's other things that you could be doing that you're not getting done. So that's one thing. But the problem is when you do it, you are the expert. You are the go-to person. That means every time someone have a problem, the problem always ends up on your desk. That is the biggest problem behind it. So the fundamental is that when you actually give responsibility for someone else to figure stuff out, the the biggest value is really the fact that when something breaks, they are the one to figure out how to fix it, not you. And what happens is that when you learn to do this, all the fires don't end up at your desk. Actually, most fires don't end up at your desk. It ends up at the desk of your staff. And that is how, that's one of the reasons where, or one of the ways you can generate significantly more time and you can have a business that can actually run even when you're not there. Because reality is most entrepreneurs, most small business owners now, if they take a month holiday, their business is screwed, right? And fundamentally, I mean, my, 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 my sort of secret checkpoint is always if I take a month off, which I do pretty regularly, um, if I take a month off, you know, is the company going to be bigger? When I return, or is it going to be smaller and or struggling? 
if you can take a month holiday and your company is bigger when you come back than when you left and things are going relatively smooth, then you're in a good state management-wise. Yes, definitely a good limiters test. And it would be nice to take a holiday from time to time. Uh, so, Mads, we've heard some really great insights from you during this interview. You, you've obviously packaged these together. I'd love for you to tell people more about, I believe you have a course, community, podcast. I'd love for you to tell people where they can find out more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, my website is madsingers.com, M-A-D-S-S-I-N-G-E-R-S.com. And yeah, I have I have both a course and I also would... would uh, the course is great, particularly for small businesses. If you have a bigger business and you already have a bunch of managers and so on, I really love to do the training live as well and to get everyone into either a room or a Zoom or something um, and make sure everyone's on the same page, right? Because one of the things is managerial change is not easy. And if you have your managers in a room and, and you're in a room with them and you all go to the same and everyone have the same expectations to the future, that often makes change significantly easier, right? Obviously, if you have a small business and you're the only manager right now, then obviously it's it's easier for you to, to get going with great habits straight away. So the fundamental, when I, when I look at management, I say it's not particularly difficult if you know what to do. So what I've packaged, it's not like a hundred different modules, but the, the key focus is learning the 80-20, right? And the whole thing is, if you learn the 80-20, you are better than most people out there. And unfortunately, that's not because my content is that amazingly mind-blowing, but it's just because there's not a lot of good training out there. And, and fundamentally, what happens is that many, many people are not like... People, people in general in most companies, they're promoted into a management role and they're not given much training and support. And if you're a small business owner out there listening, if you have managers, you're probably promoted them into a management role and they've probably not had a lot of development since they've moved into that role, right? And often it's because if you don't know and you don't know how to manage them and you haven't learned how to coach people in skills that you're not Com confident yourself yet, then it's obviously difficult to to help them, right? So the whole key fact is that you can make significant strides with your management skills with a little bit of time investment, and it's not that difficult. So, excellent. Thank you so much, Mads. Um, I just want to round off with uh, something you, you said earlier, uh, which which struck a chord with me is you said that a lot of people go into management because of the pay and the status, whereas in your case, it was a little bit different. You just wanted to be like you, you wanted to be the best manager. You wanted to learn it inside out. You had this amazing experience, which I think is kind of inspiring, actually, and is really probably the way that we should all live our professional lives. So with that said... Thank you so much for sharing with that with us and pleasure having you on the show. Fantastic. Awesome to be here. And I really hope that's valuable and look forward to hear from some of your amazing listeners. Awesome. Thanks, Matt.